Hey everyone, it's been far too long without a new episode. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I was off for a little bit when I was getting married and wasn't able to fit editing into the already insane schedule I had going. Because of that, last week's episode was moved to this week, and here we are back with a brand new story for you all to enjoy. When it comes to any career, it's hard not to compare yourself to others. You will see many people achieve the same or more success in a shorter time than you, or others who take far longer. You can't put a time limit on a dream like being an artist because we all know that plenty of them don't even find success until after they pass away. But imagine if you gave up on your dream or never even tried in the first place. How would you feel years later when you look back and wonder what life could have been if you just kept trying for a little longer? I have this idea in my own mind that no matter the level of success, I will keep working toward my goals until the day I die. Because, well, what else is life about other than chasing dreams? I have met many artists who also hold this idea. But today's guest embodies it even more than most. These are the stories about the lives that shape art. I'm Jacob Johnson, and this is the Meyer Digital Podcast, Episode 26, David Speed. Right after the break. Today's guest has a new solo exhibition opening up in a little over a week. David Speed's new exhibition is titled Faded and celebrates the human vibrance and the beauty in everyday moments. The exhibition opens the night of October 5th and will be open until the 14th. Check the description below or David's website at davidspeed.uk for more details. Back to the episode. All right, so let's get into this. Go ahead and give me a little intro. Say your name, where you're from, what you do, that sort of thing. My name's David Speed. I live in London and I am an artist. Where were you born in London or where exactly in London did you grow up? Uh, so I was born in a small town called Croydon, which is often the butt of, of many jokes in UK humour. Um, it's kind of like a little underdog town. If you ask anyone from Croydon, uh, they will tell you that it's part of London because we are a London borough. There's a lot of people who will, people from London will say that Croydon is not part of London because we're, we're sort of like 20 minutes away on the train. So we're like on the outskirts. Um, so I grew up in South Croydon in a, a little area called Purley. Um, and yeah, just, just a really like, I guess if you, if you as an American were to picture uh, an English sort of street, it would probably look something like where, where I grew up with. But yeah, it's, um, it's a place where a lot of kind of, yeah, I guess underdog is, is the word that keeps coming back. Like a lot of music was like kind of founded in Croydon. So dubstep came from Croydon originally. And it's, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of, of sort of creative people that have come from that town, but, but you wouldn't expect it like walking around. It's like, uh, there's a lot of areas in Croydon that are like not very, um, not very affluent. And it's a real, like, it's such a mix of, of different communities and, and it's really, really diverse area. And I think that was one of my favorite things about growing up there, really. Growing up, David didn't come from a rich family and often played with hand-me-down toys. However, none of that ever bothered him. He always felt like he got whatever he needed. Yeah, I was super content. I think, I think probably about the age of like seven or eight, that was when I first started to realize like, oh, we don't have as much as other people where you'd go to, to play at a friend's house or something and they would have like 
all of the new action figures like brand new and the way that i got my action figures was going to um to i guess you guys call them yard sales but car boot sales and and just buying people's old toys like all all of my toys were hand-me-downs they were like secondhand it was very very rare that i'd have like a brand new toy um and i guess like at sort of yeah seven or eight years old i started to notice like oh you you get it like brand new from the shops and um you go to toys r us and buy 10 things and like if i'm really lucky one day we'll go to toys r us and i'll get one thing so that was when i when i kind of noticed that yeah man when when i was a kid it was always like my dad would make really ho- work really hard to make sure christmas was great but you didn't get anything the rest of the year it was like whatever you want you're getting it at christmas and that's it so a lot of the other times would be like my mom we we'd have like the dollar store where everything's a dollar and she'd be like here's five bucks you know you can spend whatever here get whatever cheap toy you want but yeah i know what that's like and i mean you feel like a king like like five bucks in a in a in a dollar store you feel like a king because you've got so much choice it's like yeah and I, i'm i'm really grateful for i i think it's character building i really i it's such an interesting thing like i don't, I don't have kids but i think if i was a parent i'd really struggle with that idea of you want to provide everything that you can for your kids but but also they need to go through struggle they need to learn the value of money they need to learn like about saving and spending and and if you just give them everything because you want them to be happy i understand it but if you just give them everything like where are they going to be in later life i'm really glad that i came up like having to to scratch and crawl to get whatever you wanted and and i think it is like i think it helps in in so many aspects of life i think it makes you resilient i mean if I look at all of the like knockbacks in my art career, it's like, well, I know nothing's handed to you straight away. Like you have to, you have to work for it. Like you have, you have to go out and get it. And I think that's, that's come from that upbringing. So growing up, were you super creative? Were you into art when you were a kid or what were you doing? Growing up, I was definitely not, I, I, I grew up in, at a time where I was taught that there are talented and gifted people um, that are basically come out the womb holding a paintbrush and are exceptional artists from birth. I was never told that if you find something that you love and you do it a bunch, then you get better at it. Um, it wasn't until much later in life that I kind of worked that out myself. So whilst I really enjoyed like uh, uh, like earliest memories of, of coloring in in coloring books, um, really loved doing that. And I, I loved drawing and drawing like comic book characters and, and um, the things that I'd see around me. Like I'm a child of the 80s and 90s and, and came up like loving cartoons and drawing all of that stuff. And while I had great fun doing that, I was never told like, oh, you're, you're an exceptional artist or you have the potential to be an exceptional artist. I, I got a C for my GCSE arts, like GCSE is the exam we do when we're about 16 in the uk um before we like kind of go off to to college or um i got a c in art and then never really pursued academic art until i would I'd later um kind of go back and get a degree but i like i guess i was a creative kid but i was never like told that i had any particular talent as as a creative so it was never something that i really um explored and it certainly wasn't something that i thought was a valid like career option at all I mean, I first picked up a spray can when I was 18, doing this kind of this unfashionable artwork. And I wasn't very good at it either because like I just started. 
so the thought of it becoming a career was never something that ever 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 uh, popped into my head um, until I was much older. To answer your question without rambling, um, I was I was never really um, I never really thought that it could be anything more than just like a hobby. We've been over this a million times with this podcast. So many people graduating high school and they just have no clue what they want to do with their life. And David was no different. Yeah, I mean, I I, I really struggled in my twenties. I think um, I I like later on in life looking back realizing that a lot of depression can be caused by not having a purpose in life and i definitely didn't feel like i had a purpose the one thing that he did consider becoming was a teacher i didn't have a plan i guess in the back of my head i thought i'd be a teacher um but just because that was the thing that was the only sort of job that really matched my skill set um uh, <laughs> my skill set of being silly and mucking around with kids. Do you know what I mean? That was like, literally, that was one of the only things that I was kind of good at. And so it was always like, yeah, they were always like, oh yeah, you'll, you'll be a great teacher and a great dad. And, and uh, yeah, it's funny now I'm, now I'm neither of those things. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, um, I, I never, I never really had, I never really had a plan. And I think that's why my twenties were so dark is because I, because there was no plan and, and I couldn't see any sort of future and and without that, I just was like rudderless. I, I was I was just like dipping my foot into this, trying trying new things here and there, and not really ever thinking that I would or could become anything more than just like uh, having a boring job or working in a shop or or and, and I mean like no like if you work in a shop and you love it, then then muzzle off. But like it's it's finding the thing that you love and being able to do that every day. I, I couldn't really see anything that I would love to spend doing every day on, so I really had no no set path. Even though David says his 20s were dark, there are a few silver linings, such as the moment he met his now good friend Paul and how Paul introduced him to street art. The guy who I met who got me into graffiti is an incredible artist. We're still friends to this day. He doesn't paint anymore, actually. He makes music now, but um, I, I met him completely by accident. Um, I was at college and I got put in the same room as him on a on a trip to Amsterdam. We went on a college trip to Amsterdam and uh, my tutor said, I'm going to you're going to be bunking uh, in the same room as Paul. And and I looked over at this Paul guy and I said, I said to my tutor, don't put me with him. He looks like a dickhead. And my tutor said, no, you're really going to like him. He does graffiti. And so my ears picked up and I was like, he does graffiti. Wow, that's insane. So I was really interested to meet this guy. And I was like, oh, so you, so you do graffiti. And this is like early 2000s. Back then, graffiti was definitely not what it is now. And it was like kind of like this closed club. I'd already, like most people get into it like 13, 14, 15. Here I am at 18 and I'd, I'd never picked up a spray can. But it was like, it was something I would love to do. But I didn't know how. I didn't know how you do it. So um, started hanging around with this guy, Paul, and he, yeah, he eventually started teaching. Paul then took David to what is called a Hall of Fame, and it's basically this wall that you're allowed to do street art on. Um, I met Paul. I thought he was the coolest. I thought graffiti was the coolest. So we were on a trip in Amsterdam, and he took me to a place called Flavo Park, which is, uh, it was the first time I've ever seen what's called a Hall of Fame, which is like, I'd seen graffiti around, like uh, in South London, I'd seen sort of bits. And when you when you travel on the train, you'd see it out the window of the train. But um, to go to an actual Hall of Fame where it was like underneath an underpass and there's just every surface is just like completely covered with color. And there's these like 
there's characters and there's letters and there's just all of these different styles. I was just like, I was just blown away. I was like, I'd never seen anything like it. It was incredible. And this is like, this is the year 2000, like 99, 2000. So there was an internet, but it wasn't the internet that we have today. It's not like I could just go and look up pictures of graffiti now if I go on Google. Like this was an experience that I could only have by being in that place at that time. After getting inspired, David and Paul decided it was time to go buy some spray paint themselves and get to work. And then we went and, um, and bought some, some paint from Hanks, who uh, still sells paint in Amsterdam. And this was back in 99. We bought some paint cans and that was the first time I like, I used a can and it was just terrible. And I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't heard of like the taste gap, you know, do you know the taste gap? David explained the taste gap to me, which is essentially the difference between the art you envision in your mind, the standard of good art you recognize, and what you can actually create. For instance, if you want to draw a sea monster eating a horse, it might seem like a great idea in your imagination, but when you try to draw it, it often doesn't turn out how you expect. And this taste gap can lead to you giving up on continuing to try and improve on your art. It, it takes a lot to just keep making bad art until one day you can finally create the things that are in your mind. With no one to tell you that like, yeah, you'll, you'll get to that one day. I would sometimes look, there's an artist called Shock One. I would look at his stuff. I, I watched him paint live once and he was doing this, this thing called cutbacks where, which, I mean, it's a, it's a really basic graffiti thing, but I'd never seen anything like it at the time um, where you like lay one bit of paint over another bit of paint to kind of sharpen up your lines and he was doing these cutbacks and I, I just couldn't fathom ever having the skill to be able to create this the sort of work that he was doing I mean I, I still chase him I still look at his work and just go there's no way I'll, I'll, I'll ever get to that stage it's like I think I think as an artist you're always on that journey you're you, like if one day you woke woke up and you were like that's the perfect painting then where do you go to next but you you would just stop. So I, I think that's one. I guess it's a gift and a curse of that. As creatives, as artists, we will we will never get to the promised land. We will never get to that place of that nirvana of this is the perfect painting. But the fun of it is always trying and always striving to get there. And even though David didn't like the work he was making, he loved the experience and the process of trying to make better and better street art. The reason I kept doing graffiti was because I was enjoying the experiences and it was much less about this. There's a lot of times I went out and I didn't take any photos of the work that I made. I was just going out for the experience. And a lot of that, I suppose, was me being a kid. It was like the adrenaline rush of of getting your name in certain places and running down railway lines and all of that was, was like really fun at that time. It was only through repeating those experiences and having fun with my friends that as a side effect of that, I started to get better at, at what I was doing. And then when I noticed the improvement in myself, and when Paul would go, oh, that's a really good piece, then I would go, oh, okay, I see that I am improving. But it definitely wasn't a, a sudden thing. It was this kind of gradual step-by-step realization of slowly coming to the realization that if I do this a bunch, I'm going to get better at it. And it's the one thing, if I could go back in time, and speak to younger me who probably wouldn't listen to older me. But if I could go back and speak to that kid, it would just be like, no, no, just keep doing it. You, you will get better. Because when you're, when you're 16, a year is like forever. And you look at all the drawings that you've done in that year and that none of them are any better. 
you don't realize that if you just keep doing that for five years, then there'll be a huge difference. And it, it's just, it was just so difficult for me to see. And, and it's only been, yeah, it was only later that I started to realize. Another interesting thing that Paul said that inspired David a lot was this idea of no proper job, which for Paul and David meant they would hustle to pay the bills by doing odd day jobs, but they would never give up on their dreams of being creatives for a living. They didn't want to take up nine to five jobs and come home and watch TV before going back to work the next day and give up on their art career. They knew they wanted to be creatives, and they knew that it was going to be a very long and hard road to do so. We must have been 18, I guess, 18 or 19. And he said, I'm never getting a proper job. And because I thought Paul was so cool and I wanted to be like him, I was I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm never getting a proper job either. And that saved me. That really saved me because if I, I look at every other friend that I had, like they all just stuck to the the path that was put in front of them. And I've got good friends now who uh, are deep into the, they're high up on the corporate ladder and they make a shit ton of money and they're fucking miserable. And I look at, um, at me and it's taken a lot, lot, lot longer for me to have any success. Our ca- capitalist system is designed is that they they work you to the bone nine to five that when you get home, you don't have time or, or the willingness to do anything creative. You just want to sit in front of the TV or have a drink or relax or live for the weekend and go out and just like have a com- insane blowout at the weekend. You're not motivated to go and then spend a hundred hours in front of a canvas. Like I can't, I can't imagine anything worse than doing that if you've been at work all day beforehand. And so I think, I think that one comment and then me thinking this guy was cool and that I would copy him, um, so like really saved my life. During the time of his twenties, David was continuing to paint graffiti, which was actually getting a lot better. While doing so, he was working those part-time jobs, but he was starting to have trouble keeping up with all of it. So you were just going to college because, you know, just getting the basic stuff, that's kind of what you had, you, you're you told to do, right? Yeah, I mean, but then I dropped out. Um, so I, I got really sick. Um, I had chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and so I was like sleeping in like big 18 hour chunks and yeah, then, and then my life really went to shit and I was really depressed at that point. Um, literally the only thing that I would get out of bed for is I had, I had a part-time job in a record store, Virgin Records in Croydon, which was, uh, which I loved and like had a really close bond with all of the, the people that worked there. It was a, it was a really magical time of, of, um, just the, the meeting of these, um, of these people it was kind of like uh, empire records the movie it, it very much felt like that and um so i, I loved that part-time job and, and i like i would um they were really like flexible and they'd give me part-time hours and they knew that i was sick and like sometimes i'd have to call it sick because i just needed to sleep and they were kind of super understanding i had that job um and then i just had graffiti and, and paul would come to my window and, and throw stones at it and wake me up at like 5 a.m. in the morning to go and like paint track size and paint on trains and stuff like that and and um I was going out and, and doing that but but that was like kind of a five-year grind before I really started to feel any better from that so um so at that point I'd kind of I dro- I didn't get any A-levels so um so I didn't go to uni until much later. In his late 20s David returned to university because he had no real clear career path and his parents were pressuring him to pursue a more traditional job as he was getting older. 
He earned his degree with the intentions of becoming a teacher. David knew that deep down, being a teacher wasn't his true calling, but he wasn't certain about how to make a living through art at the time. However, in his late 20s, someone else would come along and change his life similar to how Paul did. I started tattooing um, and I was working out of, a, out of a shop in the town that I was, that I was in. And, um, and that, that happened completely by accident. A friend of mine got tattooed um, and he was talking to the tattoo artist, um, who's now like one of my best friends in the world. And he was saying to him like, oh, you should, you should talk to my mate, David. He, uh, he's a graffiti artist. My mate Mark was like, oh, I need someone to come and paint my shop. So I came in to paint this dude's shop uh, for like 50 quid or something. He was like going to bung me some money for paint. And while I was in there, he was like, have you ever thought about tattooing? I was like, I'd, I'd love to, but I, I know that it's really, really hard to get an apprenticeship. And he was just like, I'll give you one. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? So, um, so I ended up tattooing for about three years. It was at this tattoo shop that David's eyes started to open up to all the possibilities of making a living as a creative, and he started to truly see what it is he could make out of his life. I started going less and less to uni and just spending more and more time at the tattoo studio, and that was when I really learned, like, that was, that was when I really learned, like, okay, there are people that are... So I looked at my boss, and he had broken away from his nine to five, set up his tattoo studio. He was working the hours that he wanted to work. He was getting to do something creative. He was meeting new people every day. I was like, I never knew that this was a kind of life that existed. Um, and so that that was the point where I was like, I don't think I'm actually going to be a teacher. I think I'm going to do something creative. And for a while, I thought it was going to be tattooing. And then it sort of like the around that time, the 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 view of street art was really starting to change. And I thought, actually, maybe there's something here with my painting. Um, and then I veered off in, into the painting direction. So so whilst I did go to uni, I I, um, I didn't really, like, like, it was just sort of a piece of paper at the end of the day. And, and what my, my real education came from working in a studio. Did you feel like maybe this is what I'll be? Maybe this is what I'll do as my job for the rest of my life is be a tattoo artist? Yeah, when I when I discovered tattoo, I, I t when I discovered tattooing, I, I definitely thought that that could be the career for me. I was uh, I was really in two minds about. I, I basically came to a crossroads in my life where it was like either go full bore into using a spray can for a living or or become a tattooer. Um, and I I loved both, but I kind of had realised that you can't really do both to a successful level um I, I had to make the choice and, and i kind of thought this career with a spray can is there's not really many people who've done this it seems a lot more of a risky option than the career of being a tattooer however if the spray can thing doesn't work i can always come back to tattooing and my my boss mark at the time was like go and do your thing and if it doesn't work out i'll definitely have you back at the shop so I always had that in the back of my mind, although I was taking this big leap, this big risk of becoming an independent artist, I always knew in the back of my head that if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to tattooing, which is, I think is, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of like making the big change and like really changing your life around. But at the same time, I do always want people to be safe. And if you could have a plan B or a backup in your in the back of your head of like, okay, well, if this doesn't work out, then here's my my escape plan. 
um, then you can you can be a little bit more confident, I think. And and what really gave you the confidence to think you could do murals and and painting walls full time? I mean, were you getting jobs doing that, or, or how was that going? I think what gave me the confidence is that was the first time where people were asking to give me money for me to paint. So I think that that was that was a real confidence boost of like getting your first clients. And um, I was at university in like the north of England. Um, but I was getting a lot of inquiries to do stuff in London. So I was making these long three hour train journeys back to London, spend the weekend like doing a job. So there's a there's a there's a whiskey brand called Monkey Shoulder. And while I was studying, uh, I got a job doing some artwork for them. So I traveled back down to London and like and it was it was more money than I'd ever been paid for anything in my life. And I so that was the point where I was like, if I started to really put myself out there for doing that sort of stuff, um, then maybe I can survive on that. And let's let's just see. Let's just just go into it. And so how did you and so could you explain to me a little bit more about how you exactly got your name out there at that time? Because the art scene online was definitely not what it is today. So at that point, this is 2010. There were there were no like business podcasts. There were no like art podcasts. There were no there wasn't really like any advice online. I couldn't, there, there weren't really any blogs. It was, it was a really sort of difficult time to be an artist. So, um, me and a couple of other artists basically came together, um, and started a little collective, um, called the joy collective It's still running now. They, they still do like incredible work. And my, my very first day back in London was me and an easel, um, standing on Croydon high street, just drawing on a blank canvas handing out business cards to people. Um, so the business cards had our little like website address. And I would say on that day, uh, I probably spoke to like 70 people. And because uh, people were like, why are you in the middle of the street drawing on a canvas? It was it was weird, but but it got people's attention. And I was like, you know, I like, well, we're starting this business, like, like contact us if you need a, a wall painted or anything. And so I probably spoke to about 70 people that day. And of those 70, one person sent us an email. And it was a local yoga studio and they wanted us to come in and paint the walls of their yoga studio. So we did. And we took photos of that yoga studio. And then we went round to every other yoga studio. We went to youth clubs. We went to, to pubs. We went to nightclubs. We went just anywhere that we could think of that might. And then we got our next job from that. And then it was just this slow, slow building, like building blocks of getting one job leads to the next job leads to the next job. And finally. After putting in countless hours of hard work and hustling his way, David and his art collective finally got a big client. Um, and then after doing that for about a year, we got our first client that was sort of a big name, which was Adidas. But it wasn't actually Adidas. It was a little like offshoot brand of Adidas called TaylorMade. And they're like a, they're like a golfing company that was, I don't know if they still are, but they were owned by Adidas at the time. But technically we worked for adidas so we then put the adidas logo on our website and we're like oh we've worked with adidas and then all of a sudden you've got that social proof we noticed then we started to get more emails from people and we started to get more emails from like bigger companies more and more interest um and then so i then spent the next 10 years um 2010 to 2020 literally just just working as uh, i guess a cor like corporate artist i was my own artistic practice i was doing in my spare time, if I had time, which was very rare, 
but mostly I had a nine to five and it was, I was still doing something that I loved and I, I still really enjoyed that time. But a lot of it was like painting billboards for like Nike and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and it was, it was great. I really enjoyed it. And not only was it something creative that he could do by himself for a living, but it was a way that he could bring in all of his friends and everyone could pay their bills painting murals for a living. So, so all of the artists that I'd grown up with that were insanely talented, that weren't able to pay their rent through art, all of a sudden I was able to offer them jobs and and support them. So that was a really cool part of having the company. Um, and then in 2020, all of our clients completely disappeared. And that's when I started putting out my own artwork. And so it wasn't until, yeah, like 38 years of age, I actually had the confidence finally to be known rather than being known by a, a company name to just be known as me um, and start. And like, yeah, the success I've had since then has just been incredible. And my life has completely changed. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. <laughs> he finally did it. He had turned what seemed like all it would ever be as a dream into an incredible life. Of course, we can't forget to give credit to Mark, the tattoo shop owner, and all the inspiration he provided to David. Mark was the first person that I, I really knew that was like properly self-employed, like other than my dad, obviously my dad was a self-employed uh, tradesman, but but self-employed and doing something creative, doing something that, that really like filled them with joy. Um, and I looked at the way that he was marketing himself and like um, like being noticed, like, like putting his work out there and, and getting the sort of work that he wanted to get. So that was definitely an inspiration. Um, and I think, I mean, I really enjoyed that that 10-year period of working, I guess, working to brief, like working with clients. Um, I would say I'm so much happier now, uh, but that's not to say that I didn't enjoy um, working for the company. I literally thought that that would be me for the rest of my life, and I was, I was content with that, and I was happy with that. I don't think I ever pictured, I never had the confidence in myself that I could just do, just make the work that I wanted to make that seemed a bit too pie in the sky. Like you just heard from David, his business was affected pretty heavily by the pandemic and COVID-19. And, and while he had been trying to focus more on his own creative works for a while, this would prove to be the perfect time to put more effort into it, as there just wasn't much else going on. But he was still very nervous to put all of his focus into this new venture of being an independent contemporary artist. Like, could you tell me more about how, how you were nervous at the beginning of this new venture? Yeah, so that it was it was a difficult transition and a scary transition. But again, I had a plan B. Like, if it didn't work out, I would just go back to doing client work because um, I was happy doing that and, and it was cool. But but now being a being in the position where like people come to my shows and buy my artwork on canvas and that that just it blows my mind. It's it's um yeah, it's still very surreal for me. And um, <laughs> I just think like I still see myself as like such a, a fan of of different artists and different street art that there's been people who like you'll if you go through my videos on on Instagram or TikTok, you see people writing in the comments, you're my favorite street artist. It blows my mind when people say that because you literally have the choice of the people that are my favorite street artists for, for someone to pick me. It just, it's insane. I, it doesn't even compute in my head. Um, I feel incredibly lucky. I feel um, 
incredibly privileged to be in this position. So during this time of COVID, um, you obviously couldn't stand on the street with an easel and, and paint. So how are you getting your art out there this time? In East London, there were uh, a lot of businesses were closed or closed down and had put up um, hoardings over their windows so their windows don't get smashed. So there were all of these blank canvases all around East London. So I just started painting on these temporary hoardings, knowing that I probably wouldn't get arrested because these hoardings were going to get thrown away. Um, and there was really no one around. So I was just walking around these empty streets, just painting. And so because of that, I started to build this like small local East London following of people who were doing their lockdown walks and people started basing their walks around where my stuff was. So they, every day they'd be going out trying to find new David Speed works, um, because you can spot them a mile off because the pigment I use is so bright and people were trying to find them. And along with that, what really helped David out this time around was social media. And he fully embraced the power of reels and TikToks and started to post these incredible time lapses of his street art, which gained him a lot of dedicated fans. Not only is David out there making amazing works of art for people to enjoy, but he carries with him this deep passion for wanting to teach others. It's funny because all he ever thought about being because of everyone else was being a teacher and now finally being a successful artist he somehow became a teacher and he shares what he's learned on his journey to hopefully help others who are aspiring to be living working creatives he started a podcast with his buddy adam brazier called creative rebel where the whole goal was to try and spread useful information about the business side of being creative while the podcast is currently on a hiatus, David is still giving out advice any way he can through social media. I think everything that I've been speaking to you today about, I'm always trying to get a lesson across. I always want someone to, I, I don't like, I, I just gatekeeping sucks and I, I want people to replicate my journey. So I'll put all of it out there. And if anyone's got like a direct question, they can always DM me like, how did you do this? I want to do, I want to be where you are how did you get there? I'll, I'll tell you, like, I, I'm perfectly open with that because I just think I always wanted to do those things. And I just met closed doors and I didn't ever meet anyone that was like, I, uh, yeah, you can do this. Like, here's what I did. Like, like follow me, copy this. So I'll, I'll always try and get that across to other artists because I just think that it's a lot more possible than a lot of people think it is because I, for the longest time, didn't think it was possible. And it's only in the last real sort of three years that I've started to envision this future of me as an artist that can actually make important work that can, my, like, again, finding your purpose. Like before with the company, my purpose was to provide opportunities to, to artists and, and creatives. And I feel like I've done that. And I'll, I'll, I'll obviously continue to do that. Now that he has been able to make a living off of his art and he's helped others do the same, He's starting to have new and bigger dreams for his art career. But now, like, I've got these new goals of maybe can I create work that really has an impact, that work that's going to outlive me, that um, that maybe one day might be hung in some sort of institution that people will look at when I'm when I'm dead and gone. Um, and that is that's a trip to even say it out loud. But that's yeah, that's where my life's headed now. No matter how big or small your dreams might seem, they are always worth chasing after if it is what truly brings you joy. 
Don't get dragged down by the depressing opinions of others, but follow your gut. If someone else has made it, then surely there has to be a way for you to do it as well. And even if you don't ever make it, imagine how you'd feel if you never even tried in the first place. David has always had big dreams, and the bigger they get, the harder he works to achieve them. And amazingly, David has a new exhibition opening up in just a few weeks on October 5th. The show is called Faded and will be open from October 5th to the 15th. And you can check out more information in the description below as well as on David's Instagram and his website uh, and all of that. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of the Modern Ritual Podcast. Like I say every episode, I couldn't make this podcast without you, the listener. If you enjoy this show, please go and share it with anyone you know who might enjoy it as well so that we can grow this thing and make even more content for the creative community. Because at the end of the day, it's all about spreading these incredible stories and hoping they inspire others. I will see you in the next episode.